Our Bible reading this morning comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 1 through to chapter 2 verse 10 which includes um, the story of the birth of Samuel and Hannah's, his mother's prayer. So starting at verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his township to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life, He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warrior are broken but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children but she who has had many sons, pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exult the horn of his anointed. So far, the reading of God's word. Well, uh, I hadn't planned 
that we would find Hannah on Mother's Day. Uh, it just sort of happened that way. Sometimes it does happen like that, that um, the reading and uh, a sermon series might just sort of dovetail, if you like, with uh, uh, events that are going on in our community. But um, it's lovely, isn't it? It's uh, terrific that we can have a look together at uh, this uh, tremendous story uh, of Hannah and also for the God who saves his people. Let's um, pray and uh, then we'll get into this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would enable us to show your compassion, your care for others in need. You do hear the cries through your son of all the desperate who throughout time have reached a crisis point, who cry out to you in their grief. And so often, Lord, it's when we reach that point that you bring us through, lift us up, and put our feet on the rock, the foundation of your promises and goodness and love. So please fill our hearts this morning with the assurance that you hear us and you know us, that you love us. May we, like Hannah, cast all our concerns upon you knowing that you do care for us, knowing that you do and will lift us up through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to look at this this morning under two headings, and um, if you are in the custom of picking up a, a little service sheet that comes uh, as you arrive through the door there, you'll see that there are two main sort of headings today. Uh, that we're just going to focus in on with this uh, prayer of Hannah, or it could be a song. Uh, cast your crises upon the Lord, and secondly, see the world through Hannah's eyes. Israel was suffering. It was leaderless. Did God care about his people? Hannah was suffering, distressed. Did God care about her? Once a year, like Mother's Day, the family would travel the 15 miles from the hometown of Rama to Shiloh. Shiloh was the place about 200 years earlier where Joshua had entered the land, the promised land, and set up the tabernacle. And year after year, Elkanah would take his family up there to celebrate a feast of the Lord and worship the Lord and offer sacrifices. His two wives there, Peninnah and her children, and Hannah, who had none. The Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah didn't know why his loved wife had to suffer this sorrow, but he did know this was given to them by the Lord he worshipped. He didn't resent her. He didn't ignore her or blame her. He loved her. He saw these circumstances in the way that we should see 
all of our circumstances, especially the ones we prefer were different. That whatever comes our way or doesn't come our way is God's doing. It doesn't mean that we need to be passive and accept them through gritted teeth, but it does mean we recognise that behind everything in life, our times and our movements is God's loving hand allowing and supplying. If we really understand this, it will affect our behaviour, especially in the circumstances that we find so difficult. But for Hannah, not only did she live with her crisis, she also had a rival, Peninnah, who provoked her. And it's not too difficult to imagine one Saturday afternoon. What have you got to thank God about, Hannah? Um, I mean, you know, look, it's a bit of a joke, you, Hannah, coming up here year after year, really, isn't it? Give thanks to the Lord when the one thing that you want, he won't give you. The Lord's closed your womb, Hannah. Isn't it obvious he doesn't care about you? And that same theological understanding of the Lord's doing, there's Elkanah with a loving concern. The Lord had closed her womb and Peninnah, loveless behaviour. The Lord had closed your womb. Elkanah's love wasn't enough to nullify that painful reminder every year. And again, Hannah is weeping, deeply unhappy. And through her tears and a bitterness of soul, she prays to the Lord's. You could be fatalistic at this point. You know, you just sort of understand or, you know, whatever distress you face in life. It's already determined by God. And so, you know, God is sovereign and so... Really, who am I to do anything but just to passively accept this lot that I've been given? You could be resentful. If God has done this to me, then I want nothing to do with him. They both are not faith. Was Hannah's faith make-believe? Sort of wishful thinking. Just listen again to the prayer in verse 11. So read it again. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will touch his head. She asked the Lord to look on her affliction. Which is exactly how the Lord had dealt with Israel in the past. When they were afflicted and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And there's Hannah begging the Lord to do for her what he did for her nation Israel in the days of Moses. Her prayer wasn't wishful thinking. For she knew who God is. The Lord of hosts. The cosmic ruler who knows 
that the broken heart of some obscure woman in the hill country of Ephraim really matters to him. She knew her place before him. Did you notice? Your servant appears a number of times, doesn't it? Your servant. You know, all true prayer speaks humbly to God. She asked what she deeply desired. What was it that she deeply desired? God's attention. Look on the affliction of your servant. Remember me. Do not forget your servant. True faith understands there is nowhere else to turn. Back in Ramah, Hannah conceived, for the Lord remembered her. She gave birth to a son and named him Samuel. Is it proper for us to conclude from Hannah that if you were sad, say because you are a woman who can't have children, or maybe you're just in the midst of some crisis, some disappointment in your life right at this moment, that you should pray with great heart to the Lord's, and the crisis will turn to joy because you will get what you long for. There must have been many childless women in Israel. Most likely many would have prayed sincerely for a child. Most likely many were not given one. And a story isn't typical of all other childless women. And so why was her prayer granted? Was it because she was most sincerely praying? Or was it because she was the most miserable of the childless women at Israel at the time? Or was it because of her extraordinary vow? What the Lord did for Hannah turns out to be what he's doing for Israel. For Samuel, is going to turn out to be part of God's answer for the leadership vacuum in Israel. Does God care? He cared about the leadership of his people, Israel, and gave Hannah a son. He cares about the leadership of the world. And about us. And we know this is true, don't we? For Hannah's son was surpassed by another son, Mary's son. And it's in her son, Jesus Christ, where we see God's fullest care for us all. And the wonderful news is that if you belong to him, if you trust in him, you can, like Hannah, cast all your crises on him, all your cares on him, all on him in prayer, because he cares for you too. Samuel was weaned and Hannah fulfilled her vow. She brought the boy back to Shiloh. 
gave him to the Lord. His whole life would be given to the Lord. And as a result, she launches into this mighty prayer, which may have been prayed at some other time, maybe after Hannah had given a number of other, given birth to a number of other children. What a difference the Lord had made in her life, to her heart, her strength, her mouth, in verse 1. And Elkanah had inquired, you know, once there, you know, why, Hannah, is your heart so sad? Really, why is it so bad, Hannah? Living in distress, now her thoughts, her plans, her will and emotions were focused on the Lord's. Why do you think she prays there in that song, my mouth derides my enemies? Because I rejoice in your salvation. This just seems to be a little bit more than a childless wife who now has a son who has been the subject of cruel mockery at crisis, now filled with joy for God has answered her prayer. It seems to be more than that. Does Hannah really have Peninnah in mind when she prays my enemies? And does Hannah now in her happy circumstances. Does it really warrant her saying God's salvation? Really? The language here really makes it sound like she's a victorious warrior than a new mother. And that's because she echoes that same outlook Moses and Israel had as they sang of the Lord's salvation after their rescue from Egypt. Hannah had prayed to the Lord to see her affliction, just like Israel had cried out to the Lord in its affliction in Egypt. And in his goodness, the Lord delivered them and her. They sung a song of salvation. The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. I will praise him. I will exalt him. What does this mean? That in the arrival of Samuel, God is answering Hannah's prayer and connects us to the great story of God's salvation for his people. Just like Moses... Hannah knew God is incomparable. Verse 2, there is no God like you, Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our gods. This is precisely what Moses and the people sung. Hannah knew like them of the security that there is in the Lord, how perfect he is, that he isn't just an option to fulfill your hopes and our, your dreams that you won't find anywhere else such goodness, such safety than with the Lord. How stupid to have any rival, anything else, any other God than the Lord. There is no one besides him. Do you think you believe in God like Hannah believed in God? She then describes the Lord as the God of knowledge, verse 3, the God who knows. Human pride and arrogance deny the uniqueness of the Lord. Self-centeredness, self-confidence, 
Self-sufficiency is what the proud and arrogant express. And weighed against God who knows, the God of knowledge, the arrogant mouth is silenced. Verse 4, the bows of the warriors are broken. Although they are powerful and can do much damage, they are, it says, shattered, smashed. Like those Egyptian chariots sunk in the sea, the Lord demolishes human pride. But it says there, the feeble bind on strength. And years later, a young lad looking very feeble with just a few pebbles in a pouch would bring down a Philistine giant, an arrogant giant with a mouth as big as the Grand Canyon. He had all the answers. There was no hope for that feeble boy unless you see things like Hannah did. That there really is no rock like our God. Human power and human weakness look completely different if you believe in God as Hannah believed in God. As her song says, he completes great reversals. The full have hired themselves out for bread, she says. Those hungry have ceased to be hungry. The barren have borne seven. And she who had many children is forlorn. The Lord brings death and makes alive. She had some, some understanding of the resurrection. The poor he makes rich, he brings low, he exalts. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. It is God who determines these things. They are not under our control, nor are they under the control of others, of governments to determine them, nor the stock market. Do you think you see life as Hannah did? Her song describes how things appear the possibilities that are presented when you know there is none other like the Lord. What is your attitude to various types of human power? Do you see wealth as a means of security? Do you fear being weak or poor? Do you mind being unimportant? Do you mind when you are overlooked? What do you think about life and death? Do you think you have the power to hang on to life and avoid death? Most people seem to think and live as though they do. There is a natural human answer to each of those questions. And there is an answer that comes from actually believing in the goal of knowledge, the incomparable God. And you listen to Hannah's prayer. We should be asking, where is the Lord, the God who knows? And is he there in our thinking about life? It's really a biblical worldview. 
And this is what the world looks like when you exalt the Lord and rejoice in his salvation. When you understand that the foundations of the earth, verse 8, are the Lord's, and upon them he has set the world. The creator who is sustaining everything, his way. The world doesn't run along on principles independent of God. It belongs to him and is utterly dependent on him. And in the end, there are winners and losers. The one who has the most toys in the end doesn't win. Only those who belong, in verse 9, who are his faithful ones. Those not faithful ones are lumped together, as Hannah describes them, as the wicked. Verse 9. It doesn't matter what they do or what they become, the success stories or the accolade in human history. Without the Lord, who set the world on its pillars, they cannot prevail. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. It just isn't wise to set yourself against the Lord. Not only that, he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Even before there was a king in Israel, Hannah speaks of this anointed one of God. Here is the answer. Israel would have many kings. But centuries later, a young woman lifted her voice. When she received news, she would bear a son, a special son. And her prayer was just like Hannah's. And we know it as Mary's song. And Mary knew even more, for she was told that this son would be a great king, the greatest king whose kingdom would never fail, never end. And Mary knew this king would cause great reversals. He would turn the world upside down. He arrived, bringing his kingdom on earth, in power, reversing the effects of human rebellion and calling people to believe and belong to him. The question for us, for whom God's King Jesus has come, is whether we believe in God with the clarity and conviction and truth we have seen in Hannah's tremendous prayer. Will you cast your cares upon our Lord today, on God's greatest King, knowing he does care for you? And will you see the world through Hannah's eyes, finding yourself exalting the Lord Jesus, God's greatest King, given for the world to bring his great salvation? perhaps in the distress you know, simply because you live in this world and for people who are so leaderless. You may join with Hannah and pray this way. Lord, it is a great privilege that we have 
to pray to the God of the universe, grow our faith, we pray, to take advantage and make the most of this opportunity and to cast all our concerns and crises in our lives and the things that distress us, Lord, to bring them to you, like Hannah in her life. And to see that you are the God who is working to save us and indeed to bring people to the, to the great King Jesus, given for them. Amen.